This is Advice for Life with Lynn. Today's issues, overcoming addiction. It has, Something in us has to click. For me, it was fear of, I just knew. I, I just felt, I, you know, you see, you see other people that are like, oh my God, there's a drug addict. And they look like a drug addict. You know, um, they're uh, jail pitchers, you know, they're mugshots. You know, they're, they're drug addicts, and I, I started to feel like that. What does a drug addict look like? I don't know. It's hard to explain. I guess I was naive back then. I thought I knew what a drug, look, drug addict looked like. And what? I look in the mirror, and I'm looking at one. You, know? you have problems? She has answers. Getting down to the nitty-gritty with people who know what they're talking about. This is Advice for Life. With Lynn. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at AdviceForLifeWithLynn.com slash Audible. I love the word free. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from. You can get them from your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hi, everybody. Today's podcast is about overcoming addiction. Now, I know many of you might be thinking, I'm not an addict, but this might be kind of interesting to listen to, you know, like a car wreck when you're on 95. Ooh, that's really interesting. Glad it's not me. I'm just like you. I never really considered myself addicted to anything. But once I was in a long-term relationship with an addict, a clear addict, so I can easily recognize addiction and I can now recognize the signs of an enabler. That would be my role. Addiction is when you simply cannot function without something and or whenever it's affecting your life negatively. So after getting out of this relationship with an addict, I looked at myself and, you know, you have to own your stuff. So it's not like, oh, it's all that person. And I asked myself what was wrong with me was my role other than enabling. And yeah, I too am an addict. I can be addicted to shopping for sure. The high of getting something new when you're sad or stressed and bringing it home and looking at it and smelling it and touching it and loving it, knowing you can't afford it, but too bad. Um, I'm also addicted to sugar for sure. Um, I turn to it when I'm stressed and it feels good at the time. You know what? It feels great. But of course, no high lasts forever. In today's podcast, we're going to talk with an incredibly talented and normal human being who was also an addict, just with drugs, that took over his life, started innocently and went down a bad path, and almost took his life. He was given a second chance by the universe, I believe, and something inside his brain that clicked, and he made a choice, and he overcame it. I mean, it didn't happen like that, but he'll tell a story. He's going to share that wisdom with us on how he chose himself over getting high or drugs or addiction. Now, his story may not be your story, but if you're an addict to anything in your life or an enabler in any way, he will inspire you to get the courage to change and choose something different. Now, for the sake of anonymity, his name is Oliver Jack. So this is not going to be, you know, a regular podcast where it's like we do confessions and background check, whatever. He's just, trust me, he's a super normal, nice, talented, regular guy that, you know, he's not like that guy in the corner. You're like, oh my God, that guy's totally an addict. No, 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 no. So Oliver is joining us today with his story. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Lynn. So yeah, like, you know, you were married, you had a job and what were your hobbies? Like, 
paint the picture of this normal person I, I'm describing. Okay. Um, yeah, I was married, had a normal job, nine to five, and uh, I was into music and had the, you know, had normal hobbies, liked to watch TV, <laughs> didn't really do much sports, but I like playing guitar. Okay. And so then what happened? You needed surgery or something happened? Well, it started slow, but I, I developed a pain in my leg and it was like a sciatic pain. They later told me, but it emanated from my, my butt to my toe and it started slow, but eventually it became unbearable and I started dragging my foot. And so I went to a doctor, and they told me I had a pinched nerve in my spine. So I went and got surgery. Now, about a month after the first surgery, I still had the pain. And I went to the doctor again, and he's looking at the x-ray, and he pulls his staff over. He walks out of the room, and he comes back to me and basically admits that he worked on the wrong disc. Oh, my God. So I had to get another surgery. He basically worked on the wrong disc, and I still had the pain. So I was given pain medication, and I had to do it again. This time I went to a different hospital. Good. So this time I went to a really professional, you know, one of the top back guys. Somebody who could figure out where the disc was. Right. Duh. And he did the proper surgery. And I got the pain pills and everything else. And, uh, but it still hurt after months. You know, the back pain wasn't there, right? I just, it just didn't feel right. I was a constant pain still. So I, uh, and back in those days, it was like the 90s, they had ads for pain. You know, you go to a clinic and you just have to bring an MRI. And they give you pain medication. Mm-hmm. And I was in pain. So I went and I got a prescription for Oxycontin. And it worked. I wasn't in pain anymore. I felt good. And uh, that was it. And then doing that for about a year, slowly my personality changed. You know, I was starting to... I just was a different person, and I didn't attribute it to the oxys yet. I was just thought I was getting older. But wait, before you go into that, so you're on oxy for a year. Yeah. And your doctors thought it'd be fine. Hey, you're in pain, pop a pill. Starting from the first back surgery. Yeah. So nobody really is monitoring you. Right. People are just, doctors are prescribing you freely. And like you said, it was the 90s, pain clinics were very free right. to prescribe. And it was common back then for back yeah. surgeries. You get Oxycontin. It wasn't the bad thing it is today. And you didn't realize, wow, I'm taking a, I'm taking a pill every day. I didn't think about it. I just, you just knew it made was, you feel better. I didn't know anything about that. I just trust, trusted the doctors. It's pain. I have pain. I don't know. You know, it, did it, did it. And I just want to stay with that um, moment. Sure. But back in the day, I, you know, I'm just going to get off track here. Um, I, I think it was the nineties too. Remember when Fenfen was popular diet pills? Yeah. Deadly, by the way, seriously deadly guys. They kill people, but we didn't know that in the, in the nineties. And I was on Fenfen and 
man, I lost weight like in a second. And I was feeling, it makes you high. And I specifically remember I was already at my weight or under, but I was like, oh, I'm maintaining. I was, I knew in the morning when I took that pill, I, I, I remember feeling the high. It was like a little rush from my toes to my head. I'm like, I'm happy. All of a sudden I was happy. I don't know, dopamine, whatever happened in my brain. So did you ever get to a point? By the way, I stopped that when people started having heart attacks. <laughs> don't ever get on FenFen, guys. Um, which you can't now, but still, you can find anything. Did you ever, Oliver, know when you were popping that pill within that year, like, oh, this is going to make my brain feel better. I'm going to get happy or I'm going to get pain-free. It's funny you say that because it did affect my mood. And that's what I was, I, I knew when I took the pill, I felt good. The th- so I was still in pain mm-hmm. and I went to another doctor. It's back pain. It hurts. Right. You can't sit down. You can't, it hurts. So I was told I needed, uh, what is this? They shoot you with like the a steroid or, or prednisone or, or a, Oh, like an um, epidural epidural. I got an epidural. Okay. And that worked. No more pain. But I still had pain pills. Yeah. And I kept taking them because I realized, well, go ahead. No, no, no. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. Tell me. So well, you, so tell me about that moment where you were like, oh, I'm pain free. You looked at the bottle. Like, where were you? Well, I still had pain pills. I wasn't popping them. I mean, I wasn't popping them like crazy. I still had, you know, um, a couple bottles left, and but I kept taking them. I didn't stop taking them. I don't. And that's when things, I realized, um, if I didn't take it, I didn't feel right. I wasn't in pain anymore, but I felt like I had to take the pill. Can you, can you describe when you say, I didn't feel right? Sad, off? Off. Okay. Groggy. Mm. Yeah, and who wants to feel like that? Not felt sharp. Like, you felt like shit. Felt like shit, okay. So you take the pill. And, and this is a, over a year into taking oxygen. Yeah, this is a yeah. Okay. So I was pain free, but I felt like shit. I didn't have back pain anymore, but I felt like shit, so I took the pill. And what happened when you ran out of bottles? That's when it gets scary. What was that feeling like? It's scary. At that time, it wasn't that they weren't hard to get, but you start saying to yourself, you know, you need the pill. Oh my God, you know, so you keep getting them. Show up with your MRI, you need pills. You want to tell yourself you're still in pain. Keep taking it. But you're in different pain. Yeah. You have a lot of shame. I see. Or sadness, or what is it? I don't know. So you, you keep taking the pill. Mm-hmm. What? What? What was? How is your? How is it affecting your life? What happened to your relationships? Having to work? What happened to yourself? Well, it suffered. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't happy. Just a different person. I wasn't getting along with my wife at the time. 
and uh, I didn't think it was the pill. I, I, it's hard to explain because you have so much going on in your life. You just you feel like crap. This pill makes you feel good, so you take it. Don't start to realize it until, until you can't not take it. But eventually it becomes, you realize, oh my God, I'm addicted to this. You realize it. And that's, after a couple of years, you realize, and then it started getting harder to get. And then, I was still getting it legitimately, but they started cracking down. And that was scary. When you realize you're on something, you have to have it, or it hurts, and it's hard to get. Desperate. That is scary as hell. So that's when I realized something was wrong. But what am I going to do? I kept taking it. I had to take it. You have to. I don't care who you are. If you take Oxycontin for a month, a couple months straight, and you stop, I don't care who you are, you're going to need it. You must have felt really lonely. Could you tell anybody? Could you? Uh, I'm gonna tell. You know, I, I had pills. I had to take them. I just you take them. My, I mean, and it's still, you're you're under a doctor's care, right? You're not going. You know, you're, you're a not, supplier. Exactly. You're not going down to the corner to get them. Well, you are really, but you're not going in the back. You know, you're getting it from a doctor. So I didn't. It's hard to explain. Yeah, no, I understand. So there's a lot of brain screwing that goes on with your mind. You're getting it from a doctor. So, you needed it. You became an addict. Yeah, and then yeah, and then and then a couple of years later. I mean, I don't know how long. It just kept going on and on. So eventually, it got hard to get. And so you. That's when. That you know. Tell me about your rock bottom. People started noticing I was different. I started to lose a lot of weight. The drug makes you jittery. You know, people started noticing. You know, and I don't know. Um, at that time, I had a divorce. You know, I got divorced. I don't know if that had anything to do with the drugs. We, we had problems anyway. But it probably didn't help. It didn't <laughs> help at all. So I had a divorce. I was living on my own now. And that was scary because I was doing it by myself. You know, no one watching me. I could take as many pills as I want. And that's another thing. You know, after a while, you come down. You take another pill. Now you're going, you're doing more than one a day. You have to j- take a pill just to function. And then, yeah, my rock bottom was when I lost about 60 pounds. I looked like a heroin user. I mean, I had dark circles under my eyes. I... What in you clicked? Because I feel like to change behavior for any human, any of us, it, I mean, we can, people can talk to us, people can threaten us, we can go to jail, whatever. It has something in us has to click. For me, it was fear of. I just knew 
I, I just, I just felt, I, you know, you see, you see other people mm-hmm. that are like, oh my God, there's a drug addict, you know, and they look like a drug addict, m- m- you know, um, they're uh, jail pitchers, you know, they're mugshots, you know, they're they're drug drug addicts, and I I started to feel like that. What does a drug addict look like? <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to explain. I guess I was naive back then. I thought I knew what a drug look, drug uh, addict looked like. Mm-hmm. And what, then I look in the mirror, and I'm looking at one. You know, that's scary. And to realize you- you're addicted to something. What did you look like? I looked like shit. I don't know. I thought I looked good for a while because I was losing weight, but then I started looking drawn, dark circles. <laughs> I even used to buy makeup to cover those dark circles. Yeah, I looked like crap. So you you were telling me without getting too deep because um, this is very brave of you to even be here it's the first time you told your story to anybody um, you you saw somebody else who was also an addict nearly die and that did that help change that was that your rock bottom that click in you yeah one of my because I started hanging out with other people that were doing that you just person that I was hanging around with after my marriage, they had a seizure right in front of me from it. And I panicked. I didn't know what to do. I was trying to revive her. She eventually came to. I think that was that was when I said, oh my God. Yeah. You had a lot of shame. Because you you told me you couldn't, you were afraid, you didn't know what to do. When she started having a seizure, I panicked and I didn't know what to do. My first reaction was call 911. But then, all of a sudden I thought, if I call 911, you know, everything's going to be exposed. I'm an addict, but that it only lasted, it went through your mind, but you didn't, it didn't. You know, it goes through your mind, you know. You thought about yourself getting busted. Yeah. And that's like... Yeah, because I had... Guilt. Yeah, because at that time, I couldn't get them from a doctor anymore. So I was getting from other people. And we just took too many. She had a seizure. Luckily, she woke up. But you it was in that split second that I... Pe- that I that I that I stopped. I'll never forgive myself for that. But she woke up a second later. I was going to call nine one one. I was going to. It just happened so fast. You you say I'll never forget. And this is like a little therapy here. You say I'll never forgive myself for that. You know I I um I one of my gurus teaches from a book called A Course in Miracles. And that's what actually this podcast is based on. Everything I've learned about everything is based on A Course in Miracles. And The Course in Miracles says, I didn't get this until like a year ago. Our first order of healing, the first step to being happy, to feeling peaceful, is to forgive ourselves. 
And I used to think, I don't need to forgive myself for anything, but we all do. Yours is super clear. You might want to read this book or go online or who's ever listening. Like if you heard Oliver say, I'll never forgive myself for that. I don't know if it's the right answer, the right thing I'm saying to you, but we all need to forgive ourselves because we can't love fully until we forgive ourselves. We can't forgive anybody else until we forgive ourselves. I mean, maybe it's good for you because you're, we'll get your overcoming addiction, but you know, you might want to consider that because we all can understand hearing your story, why you would panic. You know, you are an addict and a human. And I had, yeah. This was, I didn't get into this, but that was after I didn't have the doctor's oxys anymore. This yeah. Was, yeah. You're desperate. So, yeah. And, uh. So that was your rock bottom. When you woke up and was like, wow, I could have seen my friend die because I didn't do anything because I was worried about myself. Yeah. And my addiction. Okay. So tell me what happened. What was your next step? Well, that, that really was an eye opener. I couldn't believe the next day out when I became sober. I couldn't believe when I realized what was going on because I was high. You know, I couldn't believe that I would that that I that I paused in any way. So that and the fact that people were noticing, I just said to myself, I "said I got to stop. This is I can't do it anymore. I mean, it's going to kill me." I just, you, you reach a point where it's like, you know, if I keep going down this road, I'm either going to die or go to jail. Or I can get back on track. Luckily, nothing's ever happened like that, but there was times where it was like, you know, you, you narrowly escape some coming to that end. So you're and saying too that, many times. Yeah, you could have gone to jail and you could have died several times from this. Yeah. Okay. So, I guess, and because I was hanging around with people that were doing the same thing, some people were talking about something called Suboxone. That helps. That that will that will. You take it. You don't feel that pain because if you're if, when you take an oxy and you're addicted to it, and if you don't take it, you hurt. Withdraw. Yeah. Matt, it's not even a mental. Withdrawal. It's not even a mental addiction. It's a physical addiction. You get sick if you don't take it. So either you're going to be sick or you have to take the pill. So back up. So you looked yourself in the eye and you were like, wow, I could have killed my friend indirectly. Um, yeah. I'm an addict. Could you imagine? Police show up. There and, and you got to live with that. So you made a choice. Yeah. And what was your first step? You made a choice in your head and your heart, and then what happened? So I started looking up treatment centers. You know? And I found a doctor, and it was scary, knowing that, I don't know, something weird about it, because you lived with it so long, and all of a sudden you're going it, it's like, to... It's like that's all you want to do is get treatment. At some point, you feel like, I have to get treatment. It's the only thing you think about, I have to get treatment, and then you go. It's like you wanted to go the next day. So you show up, and there's this miracle thing called Suboxone. You take it, you don't feel sick, and 
you imagine? There's something out there that... <laughs> you don't know. It helps you. Oh, my God. It's like it's like being handcuffed and you found the key. So I started taking it. Under this treatment program? Yeah. And... Oh, my God. I'm going to get your life back. Do you remember the first week you were off Oxy and you were on this other drug under the recovery program? How did you feel? I felt good. It was really... Not high. No, no. No, but but it wasn't even about the high anymore. It was just not getting sick. Yeah. You know? The addiction. Because you don't always have to be high, but you always have to not be sick. I don't know how to explain it. You know? And so it gets to a point where you're not doing it to get high anymore. You're just doing it to survive, to function, to just get out of bed and go to, you know, function. So... To have something that breaks that cycle is amazing. Ha, so then tell me how you started to build your life back. Well, I just... I just started taking Suboxone, and uh, that's it. it the, the cloud started to clear. You know, I was in a funk for so long. It was like my life stood still for like five years. I didn't progress at anything. I blew through tons of money. Yeah, I must have gone through at least $10,000. I blew through trying to buy drugs, you know, because it's very expensive. I mean, you can't get them from a doctor anymore, and you have to buy them from other places. It gets really expensive. And, uh, yeah, I just started slowly. The clouds started slowly. It wasn't all of a sudden, you know. So, yeah, I became interested in other things. Like what? Like hobbies. Like? Okay. Can I cut this? Yeah, hold on, Phil. I don't want to say photography because... Okay. Okay. But, you know, I started a business. How can I... Okay. We'll just say it. So you became interested in other things. You started your own business. Yeah. Did you start to date? I did. That's another thing. When you're on Oxys, you have no sex drive. It kills your sex drive. It kills your... Any... Any reason to find somebody. You don't care about any of that. You just... Well, that's any addiction. <laughs> <laughs> you I don't want to be with anybody. You don't want to feel about. You don't care about sex. You don't care about love. And then all of a sudden, the clouds clear, and you realize, oh my god, you know, you want to be loved again. You want somebody, so you go out and oh, I found the most amazing person who I'm currently married to. How did that happen? Tell me about that. I started going out, and we met. At a bar. It's usually where you meet people. <laughs> well, not a drinker. I, you know, you can't mix oxys and alcohol. You kill yourself. So you don't drink. I mean, if you know what you're, if you're, if you're not stupid about it. You're a smart addict. You don't right. drink and do oxys. You can't drink with it. That's a death sentence. So I, I don't really drink, but I, you know, wanted to go see a band. So I went to a club. And that's where I met her. I mean, remember, it's been five years. 
You were clean five I years did. when you met her? No, I'm saying it's been five years since I how, was with anybody. How? Oh, okay. Wow. Five years without any and sex, I, any love, anything, any attention. Anything. I didn't know what I was doing. Time. Plus, I was married. I don't know. I, I, I reverted back to when I was 17. I didn't right. know how to, you know, and I never really approached girls when I was younger. I didn't how, know how to do that. Wow. So how clean were you? How long were you clean when you met your wife to be at this bar? About three months. Okay. So new. Yeah. I mean, after a while, it's like you get your life back. You, mm-hmm. you want to, you know, become normal again. So you want to go and, you know. So, so you approached her. Yeah. We kind of, I mean, she was like, she was sitting next to me and we just started talking and, you know, it was, I was shy as hell. I didn't know what to say. And so, you know, we just started talking. It, it's one of those things you're sitting there. You know, you start mm-hmm. talking. I don't know how it started. I don't remember, but. So did you, when you guys started getting close, did you tell her your story? Did you tell her you're an addict? A yeah. recovering addict? Or yeah. whatever you describe it? Yeah. Was yeah. that scary? Luckily, this was after. Oh, my God. If I would have met her when, I, I, I don't know how to, you know, if I would have met her when I was doing that, it, you know, she, I feel like she's my soulmate. I found my soulmate. Oh. I love her. So much. Oh. But if I would have met her when doing that stuff, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. But thank God I met her. And she's been a really big part of it because I live for something now, you know? <laughs> it's hard to explain. You know? Tell me about that. You just... I don't know. It's a, When I was doing that, I was very selfish, meaning I didn't share anything. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to do anything. But now you start sharing your life with somebody. It's different, you know. It's You have something to live for. And I'm not saying she's the only reason I'm living, but to share your life with somebody that you love and they love you back? Oh, my God. It's like what people dream about. Yeah. That's what everybody wants. To be loved. Yeah, I mean, it's but first amazing you, to find your soulmate. Someone you love, they love you back. It's great. But first, you had to love yourself. Yeah. And the, that act was getting off oxy. Yeah. And then you attracted somebody who gave it back to you. Wow. So, have you ever... And how many years have you been? You've been clean five? It's been about, let's see... Seven years. years. Seven years. In the seven years that you've been clean, have you ever slipped? No. And that's amazing. No. I I wasn't a drug addict before. But you became one. No. That's what I'm saying. I didn't... All of a sudden, you look at yourself, you're a drug addict, and it's not like... I mean, I, I smoked pot in high school, but I never... Yeah, but you were addicted. This, the Subox, what, what is it called? Suboxone? Suboxone. Suboxone. Yeah. So you're on Suboxone. Yeah. Daily? Yeah. Okay. So maybe that has helped you not yeah. with the desire. And this is under a doctor's care recovery right. program. And, it, and it's not to be a, clear, it doesn't get you high. It right. just blocks that op- opiates. Mm-hmm. It just makes you not sick if you're on. I don't know how to explain yeah. it. Only people who know opiate withdrawal know what I'm talking about, but you don't feel that. Like I'm going to die feeling. Exactly. Can you be on Suboxone the rest of your life? Are there any side effects? Not that I'm aware. I mean, I'm sure there are. 
Some people have told me you don't want to stay on it for very long. Other people say that you should stay on it. I see some fear in your eye. Well, eventually I'm going to have to stop taking it, but it's not doing anything to me. At least I don't think so. And your doctor's guiding you? Yeah. I asked her about long-term uh, care uh, of use. It's fine. She, she's had people that are on it, have been on it for 20 years. Okay. So what is the one thing, you know, this is called Advice for Life with Lynn. So what is your best advice you can give people listening who either may believe they have an addiction or know of somebody who has an addiction? Be careful of what you put in your body. Even if it's by people you trusted your whole life, who you were told to trust, people you're supposed to look up to and take their advice. Just know exactly what you're putting in your body. And what do you, go ahead. That's it. What do you say, kind of interrupted you so many times, I'm so sorry. What do you say to those people who, it's too late, I've already got something in my body, <laughs> and who maybe are listening, but will say, oh, tomorrow, or oh, I, my problem's not that bad, oh, I still go to work, oh, that's it. Poor Oliver, he had a problem. Not me. <laughs> I did that for a while. I didn't think I had a problem. Like, what do you say to that person listening? I think, I think people who say they don't have a problem and that are on something and they say, I don't have a problem, they know they do. You know you do. You just have to, you just have to come to terms with it. You know you do. You have to, but that, but the thing is, is that's easy to push away and just keep going on every day after day after day. It's so hard to finally do something about it. But then when you really decide, you, <laughs> when you accept it, you have to, I don't know how to explain it, but you have to put yourself above it. You have to put yourself first, and that's so hard to do. But once you do that, you don't want to do anything else. It's just, you have to. And unfortunately, some people don't realize that until it's too late. When they're sitting behind bars and they said, I coulda, shoulda, woulda. God, you have to think of yourself. If that could happen to you or if you put yourself in that situation where you have no choice or you do something so, find yourself in a situation so bad, you have to put yourself in those situations and say, oh my God, you know, I never want to do that again. I never want to be in this situation again. Or I don't want to take this so far I can't get away from it. Because there's a point. You fall off the cliff and you can't go back. You have to know. You have to be able to stop and, and stop and say, I can still go back. And you just have to do it. I think people know. Once they realize they have the problem, they'll do it. They just have to realize it. They have to accept it. 
So it sounds like your best advice is, in a nutshell, if I paraphrase you, put yourself first before the drug. Yeah. No, it's hard to do. You should start hating yourself. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, all that goes with addiction. Hate, self-hate, shame. Yeah. Underneath the, the facade of, ah, I can quit. This isn't a problem. Yeah. That's the worst feeling in the world. When you hate yourself. Oh, my God. That's when people let go and don't care anymore. Anything can happen. You have to love yourself. I don't know how to explain it because you hear it in songs. Hear it in movies. You have to love yourself. But until you hate yourself, then you can love yourself. I don't know how to explain it. I understand. That was beautiful. I really want to thank you for um, sharing your story for the first time. I have a feeling you're going to be talking to many people throughout your life about your story. That's the whole purpose of this podcast, for people to share stories so we can help others. I don't have one answer, (laughs) and neither do you, but you have a story that's going to affect somebody out there. It's going to help somebody. As corny as it sounds, as long as one person is helped, all this is worth it. Thank you so much, Oliver. Thank you. A reminder to everybody, submit your questions on AdviceForLifeWithLynn.com. I care about what's on your mind. I love your questions. And when you go to my website, you'll also get access to my free happiness guide when you sign up. Also, I'm looking for guests with different ways they can help the Advice for Life followers. So reach out if you have something to say and you want to be on the podcast. Lastly, please subscribe and rate my podcast on iTunes. I really care about what you think. Tell me how I'm doing, what you want to hear about. The links are also in the show notes and also on the website. I want to help as many people as I can with this podcast. And your shares and your subscribes and your reviews help us gain visibility in the iTunes store and help us reach a lot more people. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll see you next time. And remember, there is nothing we can't talk about.